It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your hosts, Joe Rowles. Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I am Joe Rowles, and I am joined by a very special guest today. I... Words fail to describe how I would describe Jeff Olson, but... Um, he is basically the first friend I ever met who is also like my best friend on top of like one of my best friends who I can actually talk football with. Um, I, I, growing up, I was always that weird kid who like my friends called me Madden because all my friends were nerds and liked like anime and like stuff like that. And again, I like all that stuff too, but like I was the weird guy who was always talking like their brains, like their heads off of football. Um, but then I ran into Jeff when I went to central Michigan and again, it, to me, I feel like it changed my life. I don't know if I've actually impacted your life that much. I apologize if I have not. <laughs> but I am stoked to have you on. He also covers the draft. So, like, we're going to talk draft. He's also a Bucks fan. So, we're going to talk Super Bowl. Um, there is one caveat I have to warn you about, Jeff, and every listener. I actually swore a vow of silence on all quarterbacks outside of Peyton Manning this week. So, I can't say anything about quarterbacks. But if you want to talk quarterbacks, I'm happy to pick your brain. You know, I think the rest of the world is talking enough about Tom Brady, so I think we're covered on the quarterback aspect here. Okay. But how did you become a Bucks fan? I think for our listeners, like, let's – I know I've talked to you about this, but, like, I became a Broncos fan. I'm from the UP of Michigan. You became a Bucks fan. You're from the lower peninsula of Michigan. So, like, we both had options, and we chose differently than most. So how did that happen? You know, I don't even know if I had an option. You know, my options were watching bad football when the Lions were on every Sunday. And, you know, that isn't something I liked. And if I had gone that way, I might not even have followed the NFL like I do. But, you know, the Bucks just hooked me when I was a kid, you know, watching their games nationally televised. You know, maybe it was something like the cool skull logo or just the way they played defense, watching Warren Sapp and John Lynch and Derek Brooks. You know, that's the team that made me fall in love with football. You know, I didn't even mean for it to happen. You know, just Sunday afternoon playing with my toys. It's like, oh, hey, there's some football on. Um, I guess I'll watch it. And, you know, I just fell in love with it. That's awesome. That's, I mean, I like people will ask me how I became a Broncos fan. And it's very, like, it's not the same, but it's like, I went to a friend's house. I had just started playing junior high football. um, So I was interested in it. Uh, I put on a Steelers game because my dad was a Steelers fan. So like I was of the understanding that maybe I should watch the Steelers. I fell asleep. I woke up <laughs> and the defense they were playing against, I thought was really interesting. And it turned out to be L Wilson. And ever since then, I've been a Broncos fan. Uh, but now that you're here, like they haven't been in a Super Bowl for a while. Brother. A while. A while. At least. Yeah. I like, I'm afraid of having to go through that stretch now, like going like from here, like from 2015 to have to wait from, yeah, 20 years sounds like a long time. I don't really want to wait another 15 years for a Super Bowl if I can help it. But you want to make it feel even longer of a time? The last time the Bucks won a Super Bowl, I was in eighth grade. Oof. Now I'm in my 30s. I've got my second kid on the way. It's been a minute. My whole life has completely changed. And it's like, to, to, but like to get that growth to like, you made it through all this and now here they are. It's like, 
I don't know. It's cool. Like, like for me, like when I think about 2015, like Peyton Manning winning a Super Bowl, like I was a, even five years ago, I was in a completely different part of my life. Uh, like I had just finished my undergrad. I was trying to figure out what the heck I wanted to do, or I was about to finish my undergrad trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And now I'm still trying to trying to figure out what I want to do. So I think you you got you got me there. Uh, and congrats, obviously. Like I'm that's awesome, man. I didn't know you had a second kid coming. That's so cool. Yeah, and, uh, I haven't really announced it yet. So, <laughs> so I kind of breaking news here on the podcast. But don't tell anybody. But no, <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, do you think they're gonna win? Oh man. I don't know if I think they're going to win or if I just really want them to win, but I think it's going to be a good game. Yeah. There are certainly aspects of the Chiefs that I'm afraid of. Yeah. And I think match up really, really poorly for the Bucks, but there are aspects of the Bucks that I think match up really, really poorly for Kansas City. Yeah. So, I mean, it's going to be a back and forth battle. I think it could realistically go either way. Same. If I were to say one team is a, should be the favorite, it should be the Chiefs. I think they're the better team because I think they have the better quarterback. I think they have better offensive scheming. I'm Andy Reid, I think is just a genius. And I don't know, it's, it's one of those things where you could realistically see it going either way. It's just too close to call right now. Well, and the, the two things that I'm like really looking for is the fact that Kansas city has made mincemeat of people who tend to run a lot of single high coverage with one safety back. And the Bucks defense at its best, they do that quite a bit. Uh, and then they'll, they'll run a lot of man coverage, but the Chiefs receivers are so good that do you really want to leave your corners in man coverage on Tyreek Hill or Sammy Watkins? Like, so it's and McCole Hardman. And, like, and, and while, while the Chiefs offensive line is decimated and the Bucks pass rush should get there, at the end of the day, it's like if you don't actually get there or disrupt the quarterback, it's going to be an issue. So it's, I, I'm, that's the part of the game that I'm most fascinating by, fascinated by, because I do think that the Bucks offense is going to find ways to move the ball. Um, Steve Spagnuolo has shown that he has been able to impact the passing game a lot in the past. But the thing is like the chiefs pieces on defense. I just don't think they have enough. I, I, I think the receivers, I think Mike Evans, I think he's going to find ways to body ball and come out with some touchdowns. Like, I think it's going to be like that. The big thing that I'm worried about is if Bruce Arians goes to run heavy, like by the time they adjust, it'll be too late. That's what I'm worried about. Um, if they go to run heavy and they don't use enough play action, I worry that by the time. Yeah. I think I worry that the game will get ahead away from them. Yeah. That's, that's been my worry all year. I mean, this has been a consistent issue for the bucks wanting to pound the rock on first down, getting behind the sticks. And, you know, there was a brief moment after the bye week, after our last loss against Kansas City. We came out versus Minnesota, Atlanta, Detroit, and they were calling really, really good games. And they did a lot of play action on first down. It's like, all right, they figured it out. They've got the right mix. They're not trying to bang their head against the wall and just – pound the rock every first down. And then we even saw some of that versus Washington in the first mm -hmm. round of the playoffs. These last two weeks, we've gone back to the Bucks offense from the beginning of the year where they are running it, running it, running it. And the things that were working really well, the play action, they're barely doing it anymore. 
And, you know, it's been most of the year that way, but you thought after the bye week they'd figured something out, and they've just regressed these last two weeks in the playoffs, and I'm afraid they're going to keep doing that in the Super Bowl. My other big fear, and and, and so I, I, I make a big point of, like, bringing this up. I made a big point of bringing this up back after the NFC Championship game about Bruce Arians, and I asked if, I, if, if people thought the moment would be too big for him. And it was a joke, and I, I do a bad habit of shitposting, but like what I actually meant by it is the fact that like against the Chiefs, if you have a fourth and one and you're within the red zone, like you should probably go for it. Like you probably shouldn't be kicking a field goal there. And yeah, it might not work. Like you might go for it and fail. But the math shows you are more likely to beat the Chiefs going for it. Like almost always. Like again, unless your running game is complete garbage or unless you don't have a passer who can actually do something. But yeah, so in, in Bruce Arians over the course of this year, He's been pretty conservative in situations like that. Like they punt in fourth and one, they, they they'll punt on fourth and twos. They'll kick field goals when they should be going for it. And again, I get that. Like, again, he's in the Super Bowl. I'm not like, I'm not trying to say like Bruce Arians knows less than I do, but like he, he tends to be conservative with those type of game management decisions. And I think that that could be an issue against the chiefs. And I hope, again, I hope he rises to the occasion, but that is a concern of mine. I mean, it's a concern of mine, too. I agree. He's been more conservative than you would expect from a guy whose yeah. whole mantra is no risk it, no biscuit. He hasn't risked it all that often. He needs to risk and, it more. Yeah, and it has been a little conservative. And part of that, I think, is situational play calling, which comes more to Byron Leftwich, who calls the plays on game day. But those big decisions, you know, there have been times where you really want him to push it and force the issue, and he hasn't. And he's done it a little bit more in the playoffs in these bigger situations. I think it was fourth and one on their own 30 versus the Saints. And yep. they went for that and put that drive together and ended up getting points from that. And I think that's the aggressive mentality you have to have in these big games. So, yeah, I'm a little bit concerned about it, but I'm hoping it spotlights the brightest. Nothing left to lose, you know, in uh and dodgeball, they're, oh, it's an interesting strategy. Let's see if it pays off for him. Yeah. Nothing left to lose here. You know, that's, that's what I'm hoping for. I mean, I am too. Again, I, I love Shaq Barrett. I, I think I've been, like, in your ear about how much I like Shaq Barrett. Like, back when, like, I told you, like, you guys got us. Like, I knew what you guys got. Like, it didn't surprise me that Shaq Barrett turned into a star. I thought 20 sacks was high. But, like, at the same time, like, that's not just, like, some of that was that he had favorable situations, stuff like that. That's not to take away from what he is. He's a very good pass rusher and he's a very atypical pass rusher. So like I am rooting for the bucks this weekend because of Shaq Barrett, because again, I would love to see him win another super bowl. Um, I hope they do it. I really do. Um, any predictions for the game? Pain <laughs> <laughs> prediction. I'm going to be having my heart rate well into the two hundreds. Um, I'm not going to eat or drink anything for a six hour span during the game, before the game, after the game. Um, I think it's going to be both teams in the thirties. I think it's going to be really tough to stop that chief's offense. And I don't think they're going to be able to stop the bucks offense all that. Well, I think they'll have more success, but I think the bucks will be able to force some turnovers you know, with that offensive line as injured and banged up as it is. And it's just, it's low quality. I mean, with the opt-outs they have and the injuries they have, this is a big mismatch in the trenches. It is. So It's a bigger I mean, mismatch than last year, I think. And, I, and, and 
because I, I I watched Vita Vea and Vita Vea, like he's he's better than I thought he was going to be coming off the injury. I would say that I think the San Francisco 49er front four was better on paper than what the Bucks are bringing in. But I think the matchup is more in favor of the Bucks than it was last year because of the state of the Chiefs offensive line. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they had Schwartz last year, didn't they? Yeah. And he's and just Fisher. an excellent right tackle. And, they're not, and, they're, and it looks like they're not going to have Fisher either. And so they're oh, not yeah. going to have either, they're not going to have yeah they're not going to have either of their tackles against again I think the edge group for the Bucks is right there with the 49ers uh maybe maybe not JPP to Nick Bosa but I think Barrett's every bit the equal of like what the 49ers had so I do think that that mismatch could end up tilting the game in their favor um but yeah I, it's going to be fun man I'm I'm excited for this game I'm really excited for this game and I think the name you'd mentioned before Vita Vea he's going to be the difference maker because as much as I respect, you know, DeForest Buckner and that San Francisco line from last year, Vita Vea is a different animal. Yeah, he is. He is 350 pounds of picking up your center and throwing them at you, forcing you to run from the pocket. And that's how Shaq Barrett cleans up a lot of his sacks. Yep. And he, and he does everything for the linebackers because he's such a disruptor. It helps the linebackers get clean. And, and again, it's, it's really easy to always forget about Levante David. But Levante David and Devin White are like that's the best duo of linebackers in football right now, and they give you sideline to sideline range. So it's like that should help against the speed of the Chiefs in the middle of the field. Um, the, my big concern is the downfield passing, but I but I think in terms of the short game, I think they're going to be doing I think they're going to do a good job of rallying to the ball and kind of like limiting the damage there, um, as much as anyone can. But yeah, I I, I could see that too. Like again. My last real, like, like the last time I studied Vita Vea, he was completely destroying Lloyd Cushenberry to the point that, like, basically everyone was worried about Lloyd Cushenberry for the rest of the season. And that's who Vita always is. I said coming into the year, Vita Vea is the most important player on this Bucks team. I remember that. More than Mike Evans, more than Tom Brady. Vita Vea makes everything happen on defense. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's a nose tackle, so he doesn't get a ton of credit. He's not this big-time pass rusher. But like you said, he opens up everything. He forces players out of the pocket. He he creates sacks for other people. For Devin White, who I think has nine sacks this year. Mm-hmm. I think between his tackle numbers and his sack numbers, this is one of the most rare, most uncommon statistical seasons you're going to see from a linebacker. And Vita Vey is a big part of why. So he opens the door for everybody in that front seven. So because obviously this is a Broncos podcast and the Broncos are not playing the Super Bowl, I'm going to have to bug you a little bit about other stuff. I know, I know, I know it's tough to think about the offseason yet. But you're a draft guy. I'm a draft guy. Like you and I basically like, again, like my entire freshman year of college was talking to you about players and prospects. Like I remember that whole spring. That and basketball are the two things that like kept me going, man. Um, you've been watching this class, and you've watched different players in this class, but who stands out most to you? I so I started out watching corners, mm-hmm. and I, I so I, I watched Caleb Farley and I watched Patrick Sertan because those are the guys that the Broncos were being mocked to the most, like for a while, and they still are. Um, that and Micah Parsons, which is a whole other conversation. But I moved, but I moved from Caleb Farley and Patrick Sertan to Georgia because I thought Eric Stokes, Campbell, like those two guys, like so I went to watch it. And on the first play of the game, Ojolari is completely wrecking the right side of the line, 
and or the left side of the line. And I was like, yeah, so I'm going to watch him first. Uh, so I watched him. I'm, I think he's going to be my edge one for the Broncos. Um, tell me what you see. He's my edge one. I'll tell you that right now. And not just because he's a great pass rusher and he has bend and he's an explosive athlete, but the dude is powerful. I mean, he can blow up a pulling guard and hold the point of attack. So I think he's a really, really talented player athletically. I think he's got a lot of skill. I think he's that high, high upside pass rusher. And I think he's a good complement to what you already have in Bradley Chubb. Who's, yeah. you know, more power, he's refined, but he's not like this explosive bendy dude. Aziz is. He's got that juice off the edge. And sure. the power is a compliment. And well, the one one thing I and again, I've watched two, I think I've watched two and a half games of him. So again, I've I've been trying to get I, I'm always late to it because I focus so much on the Broncos during the season that once I get to draft season, I just completely devote myself to it. But like I'm catching up the whole time. And I try and get my eyes on as many guys as I can early. Uh, so I haven't watched enough Ojolari yet to like say with any certainty. I don't know if he's like, like if I didn't have an edge rusher and I was looking for an edge one to be like the guy that impacts the slide of the protection, the guy who's going to generate like 10 plus sacks every year. I don't know if he's necessarily that guy for me. I don't know, know if that's necessarily a diss on him though, because like he's not Chase Young, but no one's Chase Young. Like in this class, I don't think there's a Chase Young in this class. That said, like, Ojolari, what he is, is he is an elite number. I think he's going to be an elite number two in the right scheme. I think he can do so many other things that you need an edge player to do if you're playing a 3-4. And this is why I like him so much for the Broncos, is like he has that fluidity in space. He can bend. He can rush the edge. Like He can be a pass rusher. But if you need him to drop off and cover, he looks like he knows how to do it. If you're going to run a pull at him, like pull a guard and try and lead at him, he met the guard and stopped him. Like, I love that stuff. Oh, yeah. That physicality in the trenches, you need that. Yeah. You can't you can't be a full-time player and play a majority of the snaps if you are a liability and a non-factor versus the run. You know, you have to be able to hold your own in the trenches. You know, that's where the game is won and lost. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so much talk about quarterback play and, you know, the explosive receivers we see with Tyreek Hill, Mike Evans right now. It's all about what happens in the trenches. That's where the game starts. I think you build your defense with an anchor. You have to have an anchor in your front. And I think, again, Von Miller's situation, and again, neither one of us know what's going on with the legal situation, and I don't want to speculate on it until we actually like have a real idea of what's going on. But even before that kind of cropped up, there was questions about if Von Miller was going to return because of his age, he got hurt last year. Um, and if you look at box score stats, it's really easy to say, oh, he declined in 2019. I will dispute that, and I'll dispute that a lot because I've watched a lot of Von Miller. But that said, like at his salary, like Denver very well may end up needing to grab an edge rusher this year if they want to grab another guy to go with Bradley Chubb and Malik Reed. Chubb's going up toward his fifth-year option, so like it's not like he's going to be cheap very like much longer, and Malik Reed's going to need a contract soon. So like I do think edge is an underrated need for the Broncos this year. Um, are there other guys in this class that you like that could could make sense for them? You know, two, the two corners you talked about, uh, Patrick Sertain out of Alabama and Caleb Farley out of Virginia Tech. I have questions with Farley just because I haven't seen him. He mm-hmm. opted out this year. So, you know, he was a guy who had limited experience on cornerback, but he's got all those tools you want. Yeah. It's just 
how is he putting them together with his amount of experience taking a year off football? Mm -hmm. That's going to be such a big question this year with so many of the opt-out guys. Yeah. But he's definitely got the talent. He's definitely worthy of a top 10 type of pick. I feel like if you see, like, I'm obviously, I hope he, I hope he works out of Virginia tech, but like if, if he works out of Virginia tech and teams feel confident that he's like grown in that time off, I feel good about it. But it's one of those things that like, I feel like if I'm really high on him and he ends up falling all the way to the third round, I'm not going to be surprised on any opt-out player that that happens to not again. I'm not saying that like, I'm saying from like a reasonable perspective, like we won't get much exposure to them outside of the NFL. Whereas like NFL guys, if they like, they have all the background information. If they find out that Caleb Farley has been eating cheeseburgers for a year, they're probably not going to draft him in the first round. I don't think that happens, but like, I'm just saying like, but that's one of those things that makes this draft so uncertain. Um, are there any other edge prospects you've watched so far that you like? One guy I like a lot, and I'm not sure if I'd predict him as a top half of the first round kind of guy. So maybe a trade back option, but Joseph Osai from Texas. He's someone I like a lot, and I give him a lot of Preston Smith comparisons from Green Bay. Now, I don't see him as an elite, elite pass rusher. I see him more as that edge, too, but he can do those things you talked about. He can drop into coverage. He is physical and a good run defender. He can rush the passer. You know, he does a lot of things really, really well, and he's someone I hope the Bucks can get their hands on if he slides that late in the draft, but he's someone I like a lot. Yeah, I, I was actually watching him last night before I messaged you. Uh I, as of now, and again, this is very early. So like people are going to throw this at me later if I change, but I have Osai probably number two behind Ojolari right now for like what I think the Broncos need. Um, because I think what they're going to want to try and grab outside, like they're keeping Chubb. Like that doesn't, I don't have any question about them keeping Chubb unless he gets hurt again and they suddenly have some sort of doubt about his long-term future. But like they're probably looking if they keep Fangio, they're looking for a guy who can play what Malik Reed does, and Malik Reed is kind of the do-it-all guy. In Osai, like what I see is I see a more athletic Malik Reed. Like he's as bendy around the edge as any prospect I've seen so far in this class. But he also can run things down. He he's a little lighter than Ojolari is, um, so I do think that he'll have to get a little bit stronger. I think at the point of attack, but I but he'll chase things down. It's not like he's unwilling to play the run. He just he's oh, a little yeah. bit he's just a little bit smaller. But like I, I like him a lot. I do too. I'm very high on him. Yeah, I don't think there's anything he's unwilling to do. He plays hard all the mm -hmm. time. He's got a big time motor. Uh, have you seen any of Jalen Phillips yet? I haven't done a deep dive into his. Me neither. I've I've seen a little bit. I was just wondering if you had any thoughts on him. Um, I have really positive thoughts on him from what I've seen of him. You know, watching Gregory Rousseau and you watch Rousseau too. I, what, what, so yeah. what do you, what do you think about Rousseau, Rousseau and then Phillips? Because those are the two guys, like I've watched two games of, well, I've watched three games quickly of Rousseau. Like I put them on, just watched them. And I watched one game of Phillips and I, and I actually watched, took notes of Phillips, but I only did the one game so far. What do you think of those two? I guess just because like, again, this class is, I think this edge class is underrated. I don't think there's a top guy, but I think that like, there's a flavor for everything you need depending on what you're trying to add to your defense. Honestly, I have a lot of questions with Rousseau. Me too. He is, he's got a lot of physical tools, but bend isn't really great. And burst off the line, he's kind of a tick slower than everyone else on that line. And he can make up that speed because his second, third step are great. So you know he has the athletic tools, but just that jump off the snap, he's slow. He's not very quick compared to the rest of the college prospects around him. 
you know, most of his sack production came inside at three tech, at one tech, working on guards. Okay. So I question how he projects at the next level. You see the tools and you drool over them, but you see how he plays. I would not be surprised to see him fall to the second round, kind of like, um, oh, what was his name? That that edge rusher who fell to the Cardinals in 2016 or so. Reddick? No. Not Reddick. Uh, no, he's I, more of a defensive lineman. No, no, I know I know who you're talking about. I'd have to look. Um, yeah, I can't think of his name, but, you know, I could see him, you know, being that hyped-up prospect, could be number one overall, top five type of talent, slips to the back of the first round, those last couple picks of the first round, falls out of the first round. Well, I could see that for, no, for sure. And he's one of those guys, and again, I don't think either you or I blame any prospect for opting out. And I feel like I have to say this all the time because like, I don't want this to get mixed up for anybody. Like it's a pandemic. I don't blame anybody for prioritizing their health, like in this situation, but in terms of like evaluation, like Rousseau hasn't played much. And like when we've seen him play, there was questions then. So like you wanted to see him play this year. So there was like a jump, like I would have felt a lot better about him if I had tape this year to see like, did his Ben get any better? Did he get stronger? Cause like everyone says like, Oh, just give Rousseau weight. He'll win inside. He'll be a freak. And it's like, you don't know that. Like, you don't know that mm. he could, you don't know if he could carry the weight and continue to be as explosive as he is. And I think I agree with you. Like he's, I think he's stiff. Like he, he's not a guy. I don't feel comfortable. I don't feel comfortable with him for the Broncos based on what I've seen, because I don't think he could play in space. Um, and, and, and I think you need to be, to be able to play in Fangio's system. Well, with what they've been doing in the last year or so. Like they've started to add a lot of simulated pressures where you're going to drop a guy off into coverage. And, and people get mad about it because it's like, oh, why do you draft an edge rusher if you're not rushing the passer? Well, that, that it, complica it complicates what the protection scheme has to account for. So like that's why it happens. Um, and that's a whole other discussion. But yeah, I, I have questions about Rousseau as well. I, I wouldn't draft him in the first round if I was the Broncos. Um, no, I, I wouldn't either. And even as the Bucks, you know, I'd think about them at pick 32, 31. But, you know, it depends on who's there. I would probably take Phillips ahead of him. I think I, I feel more comfortable with Phillips for sure. For me, I my question with Phillips, and again, I've only seen the one game. I have questions about Phillips' fluidity in space as well. Um, I like what he looks like on the edge. Um, I, I think he, I think he's a four, three defensive end. I think that's like what his future is. And I think it barring health stuff, cause I know the concussions, but barring health stuff, I think he could be really good at it. I just don't know if he fits the Broncos. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'd, I'd agree with that. And the health stuff is my big question with him. Yeah. You know, cause he has a lengthy injury report. You mentioned his concussions dating back to his time at UCLA, you know, and you, you're so happy to see a talent like that put it all together this year and see, you know, what you always thought was there come to fruition. But, you know, those medicals are going to be so important for him. And with what's going on with the combine, you just don't know how clear that's going to be. Yep. Well, and, and a lot, a lot of listeners might not remember this name, but Ernie Sims comes to mind. And again, and, and again, no one roots for that, but you have to be aware of that. And that's a risk that like, when you're drafting a player high, you have to be very cognizant of those kind of things. And you have to be, you have to be able to check off on that kind of stuff if you want to put a draft pick down on a guy that 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 has that kind of value to it. So that's that's the thing that we won't have an answer to. The teams will have to find an answer to. Um. Yeah, there are a lot of prospects. This is a class. I think there are a lot of questions, not just with the with the opt out and the lack of film, but I feel like every prospect I really like, there's major questions with them. 
you know, there's a big hole in their game. Even at the tippy top, you look at Justin Fields, he's a slow processor. You look at, you know, Zach Wilson, he's kind of got happy feet a little bit. You know, he bails out of the pocket. You don't know what he's doing with his footwork. Um, you mentioned Parsons. You know, he's got some serious off-the-field concerns right now with sexually assaulting a teammate, allegedly. You know, that's more than concerning to me if I'm drafting high. For me, and again, some of these guys don't even necessarily have holes in their games themselves. Like, when I watch, like, if I can, if I can, and this is, like, the hard part is, like, we always, and you and I have had this discussion before, but, like, some of the players you root for in the NFL, like, they've done some, sh- like, and again, I'm not, like, I, I, it's hard to judge, but it's, like, some things that have happened in the NFL, like, for me, Antonio Brown, like, I feel pretty shady about, like, rooting for Antonio Brown's team, just because, like, I don't know everything that happened with that Antonio Brown situation. But at the same time, like as a coach or as a GM, like you have to be able to separate or like you don't have to, but like a lot of people separate, like what does he give us on the field? And so like for a Micah Parsons, you watch him on the field. And again, this is also 2019 compared to 2020 because he opted out. But when I see Micah Parsons, like between the tackles, I feel very comfortable. I think he could give you some pressure as an edge player. Like you could move him down, play some edge. You could use him on sim pressures as like an, a dog blitzer, like where you bring him close to the uh, the A gap but in the A, I haven't seen a lot in coverage. So I have questions about some of that because like he's played coverage, but he hasn't done a lot in coverage. Um, but yeah, the off field stuff, like bringing a guy like that in the locker room, I don't get to vet him. I have no ability to vet him, but I have to put down like, this is a risk. And, and I agree with you. There are a lot of prospects where I'm putting something like that next to their name. Like Caleb Farley didn't play 2020. Michael Parsons off field and in play 2020. And these are the guys that Bron- the Broncos are being linked to. So like, there's a very distinct possibility that they go very, they steer very hard to the left from what people expect because they might be risk adverse. And, and this is also one of the reasons why I've been a very big advocate that if the teams aren't going up to get a passer, they need to get back and get as many picks as they can. Granted, it's easier said than done, but that's what I hope the Broncos do. Yeah, and I think other teams are definitely going to be thinking that way. Um, we saw the Matt Stafford trade over the weekend where they were allegedly offered the number eight overall pick for Matthew Stafford. And in a normal year, you're like, yes, I would love a second top 10 pick. What a way to kickstart a rebuild. But in this crazy COVID year, you don't know what you're doing with your first top 10 pick. You know, they, I think Micah Parsons would be a great fit for them, but you have so many questions. You know, there's... The quarterbacks, you know, I think Trey Lance would be a great fit, but he didn't play this year. You know, Jalen Waddles coming off a significant injury, so you don't know where he's at in terms of his health. And Devonta you don't Smith, get those, those eyes on him. And Smith is skinny. And again, like, I know the Broncos don't need receivers, but, like, all these guys that are in the top 10, there's a very decent chance that the top 10 looks very different than what people right now expect it to look like. Because people aren't as plugged into the teams right now either. Yeah, I think the draft always is crazy, and there's picks that shock you, but I think this year, more than other years, is going to be a shocking year. You know, it's I did not see that coming at all. I had no idea Jalen Mayfield was going to go in the top six picks. You know, it's some are going to just totally come out of nowhere. I think it'd be fun to do a quick live mock. Like, we'll do back and forth. We'll do – if you want me to be the – the so we by the time this comes out, uh, our listeners will have – the written one that you and I did yesterday. In those picks, you were odds, I was evens. If you want to switch, I would be happy to be the odds and you can be the evens. 
or if you want to okay. do it the same way again, like however you want to do it. Uh, no, we can change it up if you want. You know, I know you've got your no quarterback thing going on, and well, you know, pick number one's obviously going to be a quarterback. So, 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 what I will do to try and again, I, I want to be realistic at the same time. I can, I, I feel like if people get mad at me for saying a guy's name, that's one thing. I'm not going to make any sort of real analysis or thought on the quarterbacks. I'm not going to talk about the quarterbacks, but obviously they exist. And obviously, if I'm Jacksonville number one. Urban Meyer came out of retirement to draft Trevor Lawrence. Like there's, he, he wasn't coming out of retirement for anybody else. Yeah. He's, he's a special, special quarterback prospect. I don't think I've ever seen a better one, to be honest. <laughs> that's, that's all I, got. I know you've got words in I got, there. I, got, I know you I, want to I, say things. I, I try, I try to stick to this battle. I honestly, I, I think it, well, here's the thing, and this is why I took this, and I and I I, I talked about it on Twitter, but I want to talk to you about it just to like, because it's the thing. I feel like I've been going back and back, like back and forth on like a Groundhog's Day with my rant about what I think the Broncos should do at quarterback. Everybody knows, like, if you follow any of my work at this point, you probably know where I stand on it. And instead of just hitting my head against the wall and probably annoying most of you who already know what I'm gonna say. I've just I, I thought it would be more interesting this week to take an approach of like I'm not gonna talk about it at all. So I'm trying to. It's it's hard with the Super Bowl. It's really hard with the Super Bowl. But well, it is some pretty low key quarterbacks in the Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady. I mean, what's what's there to say? <laughs> so I do think uh, the draft really starts at number two this year. Um, I know that there's some rumors that they're the Jets are looking to trade out of it. Um, I don't know if you want to kind of work through anything with that, or if you want to make the pick for them. Um, I think that they will probably stay. Um, personally, I think like starting off a rebuild with a new passer is probably in my mind, it makes sense. Um, because you have that rookie contract for four years. Whereas like, if you keep Darnold, you're going to have to pay him pretty quickly. Yeah, I would, if it were me, you know, and thinking about the type of offense they're going to want to run with that San Francisco background, I would move on from Darnold. I think he's more of a a guy you want throwing the ball downfield. And I think this is going to prioritize more quick hitters. It's going to be simplified for the quarterback. I think you want someone who can get that out of there quickly. And I don't really see that with Darnold, even going back to his college days at USC. He's someone who I thought held on to the ball a little too long. You know, my pro comparison for him coming out was a less talented Jameis Winston. Uh, someone else who holds on to the ball too long. So I think with the contract implications and what I think they're going to want to do on offense, I think a fresh start there would be best. And I could see Justin Fields being a really good fit because I think that type of offense would really minimize his processing concerns that I have. But I'm going to go with Zach Wilson because he is a guy who I think can get the ball out really quick. He can make plays outside of structure. He's athletic. He's mobile. He can make some really amazing highlight reel throws. And I think both of those guys would be a good fit. But I'm going to go with Zach Wilson for Jets at number two. One one thing I like about his what I've seen of his tape, and again, I'm not trying to talk about him per se, but the offense he runs, he runs a lot of stuff that already kind of has some correlation to the Shanahan-style offense. Like you're, you're running wide zone, you're boot off wide zone, like – you're looking. You're already doing a lot of that, and I think that the the route concepts you're going to be able to see and stuff like that. Like there, there there's a there's a pretty clean transition there. I think. Um, 
will snap with the with the third pick. So Miami, we have this pick because the Texans are stupid mostly. Um, I mean, I think we're gonna go receiver here if we're staying here. Uh, and I think if the first two picks go as they do, I think Miami would feel calls. Like I would be feeling calls if at all possible to try and move down, just because if we have our passer. Why not collect more capital and continue to build up the supporting cast in a year where, again, the top 10 is a literal questions. But assuming that I cannot get down or do not take a deal because I don't get enough, I would take the, what I think is the best receiver on the board. If I'm Miami, that's probably Smith because of the fit with Tua. Um, because I don't know if necessarily if you're going to be able to weaponize Waddle in the same way without an arm that can get the ball downfield as consistently. Um, and I think Smith makes more sense there because of his ability to separate because He's be- I think he's better at separating as of now than Waddle is. I haven't studied either of them yet, but that's where I land on him from what I have seen of Alabama State. Yeah, and I really like both of these receivers. These are my top two receivers above of Jamar Chase. And I like yeah. Jamar Chase. I, I but... think – go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, yeah. I agree with you. Uh, Smith is a better separator. He's a cleaner route runner. But I think Waddle has that – that kind of Tyreek Hill kind of you get him the ball in space and he can make things happen. And yep. I think that would suit what the Dolphins need as well. I and he has that same Alabama connection. And, so and, I don't think there's a bad pick between the two here. And that's I think one of those two is gonna be the pick if they if they're stuck there. I don't I don't think they're gonna go Panay Sewell. I know like there has been some people that have floated like I don't I, I think I've seen that floated before with Panay Sewell. I don't think they're gonna do that. I think it makes more sense to add weapons. And I think they need a separator. So I think one of those two makes sense. And I don't think that's Jamar Chase's game. Jamar Chase is a contested catch guy. And again, like that's not to say he can't separate, but he doesn't stack good corners very often. Like he he tends to make catches in bully ball situations and and or making the most of like getting open by scheme. So like I don't know if necessarily he's gonna fit with Devontae Parker. Like I don't think he like, I don't think that's building a basketball team at that point. At that point, you're grabbing two guys that have very overlap, like they have overlapping skill sets. And I think that's going to show up. Um, so I don't think, I think the receiver class this year, in a lot of ways, it comes down to your preference and what you're looking for. And I think for Miami, it's going to be Waddle or Smith. Yep. I'd agree. And I always tend to look at what is the best case scenario for this player. And, you know, I mentioned Tyreek Hill for Waddle and that's the best case scenario. And I don't know that he gets there because I don't think he has that kind of speed. But I mean, he's obviously got some wheels. Well, and, and he's and he's quick laterally too, and that's what really mm-hmm. shows up to me. Is he's not like Rugs. Rugs was a straight line guy. Like Waddle, like and again, not to say Rugs is slow laterally, but like Waddle's special laterally. Like you can see it. Yeah, Rugs a little more stiff than Waddle. Waddle can make things happen. He can create those yak yards. Mm-hmm. Where Jamar Chase, he can't really. I mean, that's not his game. He he's not going to push people downfield. He's his best case scenario is DeAndre Hopkins, mm-hmm. and that's a great best case scenario. You know, you would love that. You'd take that every time. I would he's take DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, <laughs> always. But he's not going to challenge your corners vertically like these other two guys you mentioned. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like you said a similar skill set. You know, you love that guy, but if you got five of that guy. You know what's coming. You know what to expect. You know how to plan for it. Yep. So I think after after Miami, the next pick is Atlanta. Yes. As of now, as of now, all indications are that they are looking to keep their current core in place. 
Um, I don't know if that influences your decision at all, but they are, I think they're over the cap. So like they, they are going to be an interesting team to watch because they're not going to be able to make a lot of moves in free agency. As far as I know. I think Atlanta is on the door of burning it all down and it's time to fresh start. I mean, there's just, you see the talent there. You think they should be better than they are. And by all accounts, they should be. But when you look at their cap situation, you look at the age of their core. Matt Ryan's another year older. Julio Jones is still the best receiver in the league, in my opinion. But, you know, as he gets older, that's going to start to decline. You look at who is going to be a free agent soon. It's time to start over. New coach, new GM. It's a fresh start. So, And you look at the division right now, the NFC South, like, Tom Brady doesn't look like he's going anywhere for a minute. So it's like now might be a good time to reset. Yeah, that's absolutely the time to reset. The Panthers are resetting. The Saints have to burn it all down because they're a hundred million over the cap. Everyone in the division is getting ready to go through this process. You just give it to the Bucks for the next two, three, four years. You're not going to challenge them. Everyone's resetting. Don't put yourself behind by trying to contend for that seventh seed playoffs at an eight and eight record, maximizing Julio and Matt Ryan. It's probably not going to happen, and it's long-term, not a good strategy. So with that in mind, I'm getting the quarterback. You know, there is big-time talent in this quarterback class, and you're only going to be picking top five so often. So I'm going to take advantage of it. I would say that's. I would say that's the advantage that Atlanta has that like Carolina doesn't is they look like they're within grasp of getting a guy that they can restart with if they need to. Maybe. I mean, I I'm worried for Carolina with Detroit. Oh no, but I mean, I, but, but I mean, Atlanta, Atlanta being in the top four odds are they're going to get a passer if they want one. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. Now those top four are franchise talents. So I think I'm going to take for them Justin Fields. He's my quarterback, too. I mentioned earlier, I do have some questions with how quickly he processes things. Sometimes I think I can see the wheels turning, but he is athletic. He is accurate. He has the arm talent. He's everything you want. And, you know, I think he can sit a year behind Matt Ryan because Matt Ryan's not going anywhere. He's stuck there with his contract. Sit behind him, learn from him study the game, adjust to the speed of the game. And then next year, you evaluate where you're at. Maybe Matt Ryan retires. Maybe they can move him. This is going to be Justin Fields' team long-term. You know, especially you love to get a guy who's from the area, originally committed to Georgia. Don't let him escape again. Keep him in Atlanta. Keep that talent there. So now that Cincinnati doesn't need a – doesn't need to take one of these guys. So like for them, this might be pretty close to the perfect situation. Um, They would take Waddle. I think without much hesitation, actually, maybe not They They'll probably will overthink this and do chase. I, I personally think that they would be better off taking Waddle because they have T Higgins. And I think T Higgins also has an overlapping skill set with Jamar chase. Whereas you're going to have two possession guys. And again, I'm not, I'm not hating on chase. I don't think he's going to be only a possession guy. But I think if you if you build your offense around guys who have to win at the catch point, you're going to feel that lack of speed on the uh, perimeter. And I think you would if you have Chase and Higgins together. That said, I do I do think that the Bengals could feasibly do that because like Joe Burrow to Chase, like that whole deal, I get it. 
I would go with Waddle, and that's my pick. Um, I think Waddle complements Higgins better, and I think he'll do a better job of bringing out the best in Burrow. I totally agree with that, you know, in terms of which receiver I would prefer. My question for the Bengals specifically, are they a little shell-shocked from the John Ross experience? Oh, yeah, that's a good point. I know the, the fan base wants school. Injury concerns. You know, did not work there. You know, everything worked in concept. And now I think Waddle's a better player. Mm-hmm. But it's the same blueprint, you know, what you're looking for, what you're trying to get. Well, and drafts don't happen in a vacuum either. Teams, especially when teams have the same management structure or the same ownership that has the same, kind of like they're involved in the process. Like they may very, you might be right. They may very well look at this and say, we're not going to take another receiver high, especially if Sewell's there. So like they may very well go Sewell. That would make sense too. I mean, that's I'm going perfect- to stick, stick with Wild just because I said it, but I do think you're right. I think, again, this is another wild card spot in the draft because I think if they're stuck making this decision, it could have ramifications down the board because again, if Sewell falls, like there's a number of teams that want that guy if he falls. Yeah, I think that's the way I would go. But, you know me, I always want to build in the trenches. That's my background. I don't value receivers like other people do. But so I you think... might you might be able to benefit here since I'm the Bengals and I just bungled it up then. Philadelphia is an interesting team, though. I yeah, think they, they need a lot. You know, I've got questions with their quarterback situation, but obviously they can't move either guy because they invested so much in them. I've got questions with their offensive line long-term. I've got questions with their pass catchers. I've got questions with their everything, really. I mean, this is a prime trade-down candidate. So it, let's say if we do it, let's say like, let's go through a trade scenario here. Like, Let's say in this scenario, who are the teams with the way the board fell to this point that would be moving up because my my thought is they're probably moving up for either Sewell or more likely they're moving up for Lance. Who I think they definitely want to move up for Lance with yeah. Detroit and Carolina coming up. Okay, so let's say if you're if you're Carolina because if you're Carolina you're more likely to try and get a desperation trade going because Detroit if they don't do anything they probably might have Lance right in their lap unless they think someone's jumping up. If you're Carolina, let's say you have to give up a first-round pick and either a second or a first next year. And that might be low-balling. I'm not looking at trade value as we do this. But if you're Carolina, is that worth it? I mean, I think when you look at how active they were in the Stafford market, allegedly, I think they definitely do that. Okay. You know, I think Teddy Bridgewater was everything they could have hoped for. And you know that offense was good. That offense was nothing to sneeze at. But at the same time, they're 5-11 and, and 11 for a reason. And there was, Teddy Bridgewater well, is not that guy. There, there was limitations. Like, even as good as the offense was, I thought there was limitations to the offense. And also, I think everyone knew that there was going to be limitations to the offense. That's what was interesting about their decision to sign him to begin with to me. Uh, just because last year, this time, I thought Carolina was, like, right after the draft last year, I thought if, if Carolina hadn't done that move, they could have probably bottomed out to Lawrence or gotten really close. Like they could have, they, I mean, you know what I mean? Like the top three teams who would have known, but like, I don't think PJ Tucker, like, I don't think he's taken them to much more than like two wins. No, I mean, those are the teams Walker? at the beginning yeah. of the year, Jacksonville and Carolina, you know, before when the off season was starting, you looked at it and those were the top two. I think everyone was projecting PJ Walker. I apologize for some reason. I had Tucker in my head, but, but yeah, so 
So I do think, yeah, like I, I think I agree with you. Um, let's say I'm Carolina and I make this trade. So you take Lance. I take Lance. What, like, and, and I'm asking. I don't want to. I don't want to. Again, I, I got to try and keep my vow in mind. How do you build around Lance for the long term to set him up for success? Then, because from what I've seen, he has a very unique skill set, and he's an interesting prospect. He is. He he is someone I think he can project well to a guy like Cam Newton, which obviously I'm sure Panthers fans would love to get a, another skill set like that. Uh, my comp form right now is Josh Allen, who I had comped to Cam Newton when he was coming out. So it's that athletic, great arm. You have some questions with where they're at in their development, but you see the talent is just wow level talent. Burly runner too. It's one of the things I like, but oh yeah, he'll run you over. Mm-hmm. But um, if the quarterbacks go in the top seven as they just did, or in the top six as they just did, Detroit is looking at Jared Goff and kind of doing whatever they can do from there. Um, I'm looking at Detroit, and I think you're losing Galladay. Um, if I'm Galladay, I'm probably headed out the door uh, because I think this team is heading towards. They're trying to bottom out. Um, and if I'm a receiver, I don't want to be part of that unless I just want to put up empty yards for, I don't want to be Allen Robinson is my big thing. And I feel like if I was Galladay, I would be Robinson. So I think he's out unless they franchise him. Um, and if they don't franchise him or if they do franchise him, either way, you're still going to have a need at receiver. Um, and again, it might seem high to take a receiver this high, like these three, this high, but I think that much of these, this receiver class, it's kind of a bummer that Denver doesn't need receivers because I don't get to evaluate any of them. Um, but in this situation, I would probably take Jamar Chase and we would kind of go from there. Yeah. And you get a little bit of the, that, you know, similar skill set you talked about while you passed on him for Miami, Kenny Galladay, he's a big physical jump ball kind of receiver. You know, you get that physicality, strong hands from Jamar Chase, so you, but you need receivers there. You don't well, know Kenny G's there long-term, even well, if he's and, franchised. And that's and that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking if you franchise him in your Detroit, you know you're probably riding it out this year, or if you can get draft capital for him after the draft or before, you know, whenever you can trade him, you're probably trying to trade him because you're just trying to collect assets. You yeah, tag and trade would be beautiful. Yeah, and so, like, if I'm if I'm Detroit, my strategy in, this, in, in my head as I make this pick is I, I franchise Galladay, if a trade offer comes along, I'm taking it. If it doesn't, I'll probably trade him before the season if I can. Somebody will probably get desperate. Um, if if we have him, we have him. But I I don't plan on keeping him long term. Um, and in the meantime, like in the meantime, Jamar Chase gives me that guy. Jared Goff can make use of that guy. Yeah, right now it's just about acquiring talent for the Lions. You're probably going to be in the conversation for the number one overall pick next year. The defense is awful. You have no receivers on the roster outside of Quintez Cephas, which I think he went to Wisconsin. Yep. Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> you got TJ Hawkinson, which is good. You got Ragnow at center. Taylor Decker played well last year. Other than that, you just kind of look at the round and who are you keeping? Would they make sense as a Panay Soldier uh, pick to you? They would. I know they invested a lot in their right tackle and – I just know him as Big V because I can't pronounce his last name, but he's not good. He's you know he's someone they've talked about pushing inside to guard, trying to utilize his run blocking skills, but he is not their long term answer at tackle. And I can see I don't think that 
So I don't think Michael Parsons is going to end up being a top 10 pick before it's all said and done. I think his tape, if you project that forward, it is a top 10 quality type of tape. But I think the questions on top of the opt-out stuff kind of rule him out. I could see Detroit, if anybody's going to take him in the top 10, I could see Detroit doing it. They make those kind of picks. Um, the off-field stuff does kind of make it pretty questionable to me. I don't think they're going to do that after Patricia. I just don't think they want to deal with that that kind of atmosphere and that kind of story after having to do that with Patricia. Um, but I could see it in terms of like a scheme fit and need type of thing. Uh, are there any edge rushers that make sense for them this high? Would they would they go after edge rushers or corner? I don't think they'd go after corner because they just drafted Jeffrey Okuda last year. I really like their second corner, um, Amani Owarie, who they got from Penn State a couple years ago in the fourth round. I think that was a great value. I'm really comfortable with him as a young number two. They have Desmond Trufant still on the roster, and you know, I think they should try and move him. He doesn't have a lot left in the tank. Play the young guys, get them that experience. But he's still there. He can learn from that. They can learn from him. So I think corner is pretty, pretty, pretty well in hand. Edge rusher, I would consider. Okay. I really like Quiddy Pay as a fit here. Yeah. And I think they're going to stick in a four-three kind of defense. I think they have Trey Flowers, who's you know big body defensive end. He's good against the run. He's not great against the pass, but he, he's effective. He's a good player. Mm-hmm. For what you're paying him, not worth it, but he's a good player. Mm-hmm. And I think you'll get a lot of those same skill sets from Quiddy Pay on the other side. So it gives you long-term so, insurance, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you have stout defender on one end, stout defender on the other, put some beef in the middle and tackle, and you've got a respectable defensive line there in the making. And that's something to build on if you're a rebuilding team who's trying to completely reshape a de- defense you got a defensive line. You got some corners. You're working with something. You got four first-round picks coming up in the next two years. One of them might be number one overall. You can go from there. So in our scenario, and again, I'm, I'm just saying this for the sake of like, I'm going I'm to go back before we get to the, like when we get to the Broncos pick, I'm going to go back over all the picks. Um, but as of now, I am going to stick with the idea of taking Jamar Chase um, just for the sake of, but I do think you're right. I think Quiddy Pay. Could make a ton of sense there too. Um, I do think the what's kind of awesome as a Broncos fan is it looks very, very likely that either Sertan or Farley will be there at nine. I don't know if necessarily both will be, but I feel pretty confident one will be. And that's cool. That's good news. But what would you do at this point then if you did the trade down? Now you're Philly at eight. Man, Philly is just they're a tough team to draft for because of all the needs they have. But I think I would go Caleb Farley. You've got Darius Slay there. And if you can get Farley working next to him, can learn from him. He's got all these athletic traits that you just drool over in a corner prospect. And if there's one thing the draft has taught me, even if they're not polished, even if they need some work around the edges, draft those athletic freaks if they have a great work ethic. If they've got those character skills, you have faith in them to develop. And, you know, that's where I feel comfortable drafting Farley here as opposed to Parsons. I don't know who he is as a man in terms of his character. I don't know if he's going to work. I mean, obviously he's got some stuff going on. But I have no reason to believe that Farley 
isn't someone who's going to come in, work his butt off, absorb all that knowledge that Slay offers, and make the best of his opportunity. So I'm going to bet on Caleb Farley here because I think he's such a talented player, and I think he's going to develop really nicely. And if I am the Broncos, with the way that happened, like these last picks, you taking Farley to me is a dagger because the quarterbacks are gone. Like all the top four are gone. Farley's gone. Like that's honestly, to me, I would think that like Farley is cornerback one for Vic Fangio. Um, with the way the board fell. And again, I, I agree with you that if I'm Philly, I, I've been trying. So my brother's an Eagles fan. Like, I, I think, you know, that like we've talked about, but I just, in case anyone listening doesn't remember this, I have been talking to him about what he thinks the Eagles biggest needs are for a couple weeks now, because again, I've been watching a lot of prospects and he is, he is stuck on the fact that they need a linebacker. And I told him, I was like, I think it's going to be easier to find a linebacker in this class than it is to find a good corner. Um, I think this is the best linebacker class I can remember in the last three, four years. Um, it stands out, not necessarily just at the top, but just all the way through. Whereas the cornerback class, at least, and I haven't studied most of them yet, out, but I've heard that outside of Farley and, and Sertan, if you're looking for a day one starter, it's going to be rough. Um, or you're getting a slot. Like, And again, like slots have value. But like what you said, if you're looking for a rare talent at corner, I think Farley is the guy. And I don't think there's another guy like that in this class. I mean, I really like what Patrick Sertain brings to the table. I think he's really close. I'm not sure who's going to end up as my corner one. But they're a different skill set. And yeah, I think yeah. you look at the ceiling, and I think I think most people would look at Farley as the higher ceiling. But I would feel really good about drafting Farley in this kind of range, this 9 uh, – 13, I'd feel really good about getting him in this kind of ballpark. Same. The The reason for me, and, I, and, and I've written a little bit about this, but the reason I like Farley more than Sertan for the Broncos is I think Farley shows more click and close. He can play an off. Like you see more of that on his tape. And Fangio's scheme, he asks his corners to play both up and soft press and off quite a bit. Whereas I think Sertan, where he's going to win the most is when he's right on the line of scrimmage with the guy and either able to get his hands on him at the, at the jump or be able to shadow them right from the snap, right from like right in their face, playing basketball on grass. Um, I think Farley can do that, but I also think Farley can play off and able to click and close and come down on downhill on a guy a little bit better. And I think that that matters in, in, in terms of scheme fit. Um, but I, I, if you drafted Sertan and you're running a cover three type of scheme, I think he is going to be corner one. Like it, I can definitely see that. Um, so at this point though, with where the board's going to go, I'm just going to review it really quick. Uh, Jacksonville went Trevor Lawrence, Jets went with Wilson, Miami went with Smith, the receiver, Atlanta went with fields, Cincinnati went, took a receiver. They went with Waddle, Philadelphia traded up and they grabbed, uh, Lance Detroit took chase and then Carolina took Farley. So at this point, if you're Denver, and I guess we can kind of close with this cause I want to kind of leave it for you know our listeners to kind of decide where they land on it. But but if you're Denver, what are you looking at? Like, what makes the most sense here if you're Denver? And let's say you can't trade down. Let's say the only trade offer you get is from the fuck you Steelers saying, here, we'll give you a third round pick if you want to come down to us. So you're stuck, probably. I think, I don't think that would be the case because you look at I, who's available. 
Penny Sewell is still on the board somehow. I don't know how we allowed that to happen, but it happened. And I think Dallas would snatch him up given the opportunity, especially if Denver does take Farley here or is looking to. So I think you'll have suitors, especially with L.A. there at 13. Those Chargers want to get that tackle to protect Justin Herbert. So I think you would have action here if the board plays this way. Okay. If not, if not, for whatever reason you don't, I think you look at Patrick Sertain. He's an option. I think you look at Penny Sewell just for best player available. And I know tackle has been – it was a lot better this year. Well, for Denver. I the, mean, the Broncos, Mike Munchak has come in well, and done a lot of good work. And the Broncos tackle situation is weird. This year is going to be really – like, it's not awkward, but it's, it's kind of awkward in the fact that, like, you have Dewan James back from an opt-out. Like, he opted out last year, so Denver just didn't have him at all. They'll have him this year. They can't cut him. I don't know necessarily if they want to cut him. They may want to They may want to keep him and Bulls long-term, or they may look at the fact that he opted out and they got 60 snaps from him in 2019. They need to have another plan. And if that other plan is Panay Sewell, like they should feel pretty good about it, I think. Like from what I've seen of Sewell, I'm pretty optimistic about his development. So I could see this too. Like I could definitely see them being the one to take Sewell. Um I'd feel I'd be pretty excited. I mean, it's yeah. I think offensive linemen are kind of like getting socks on Christmas. But at the same time, like, you need warm feet. <laughs> Especially from where we're from. We appreciate those big boys up front. We appreciate those warm socks. And especially with Denver, they have the best offensive line coach in the game right now. I mean, them and New England, and I can't remember their longtime offensive line coach. Oh, Skarnakia. Or Skarnakia, yeah. Skarnakia, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, those are the two. I mean, who else do you trust with the development of any offensive lineman more than those two guys? Mm-hmm. So you know you're getting the maximum value on your investment there. And, uh, yeah, so... So you would you would probably look at Sertan or Far, uh, Sewell if this is the- those would be two in the conversation. The other one is Aziz. Okay. I think he's such a good player. He's my edge one. I value pass rushers very highly, and I think championships are won by elite strengths. So you keep that pass rush strong. You keep that defense, you know, pressuring quarterbacks. Denver's going to be in the conversation for a playoff in the hunt next year. Cool. Thanks for coming on, man. Anytime. It's good to see you, brother.